Hi, I'm Carol Sanford. I'm your host for the Responsible Entrepreneur Podcast, where we help entrepreneurs learn to be game changers. They can change whole industries, social systems, cultural paradigms, and even governance. Today, we're going to talk a bit about what open source means in the entrepreneurial technology world and where it is that they talk about authenticity being so critical. And we're gonna interview an entrepreneur who is working in that world and trying to improve the authentic communication that happens. So I wanna offer you three criteria that I know speak to when someone is being authentic and I can judge myself on whether I'm being authentic. The first is that I go beyond the words to the meaning, not just for me, but the meaning for people I'm communicating with. I pay attention to what the implications are of what I'm saying and yes, thinking to the persons who are involved and impacted. And I articulate that so that what is behind my thinking is present and they know where it came from. The second criteria that I pay attention to to determine if authenticity is present is wholeness. I watch to see if myself and others are really avoiding being partial. I mean, you know what it's like when people tell part of the story, but you really can't get the whole of it. You can't get the whole experience. You can't make sense out of it because you can tell things are being left out. You are really excluding people's ability then to develop the full meaning and implication. So authenticity has nothing withheld which means something that a lot of people are really uncomfortable with, but it has to become core to an open source environment. That is, they represent the same situation in the same way, no matter the audience or the timing that it's happening. So if someone were to record you wherever you went, there would be integrity and continuity in what you said in each place. That's what I call wholeness. The third criteria is receptivity. And that I mean, you're really paying attention and taking into account the other person's aspirations, more than needs, going beyond just what it is that they uh, have said they want to really connecting with their feelings, their desires, and indeed what they feel responsibility for, what they are trying to bring about in the world. When I am caring about their aspirations, then I'm receptive to making sure that I become a part of their success. Now, of course, you'll have to admit that these are all criteria we don't normally speak of when we talk about authenticity, but you remember I come from the world of responsibility with my two books, The Responsible Business and The Responsible Entrepreneur. So today I am interviewing Madeline Martinere. Madeline is an expert in working with building communication, especially around technological systems which are built on open source. So I think you're gonna enjoy hearing from her and you can listen to how these criteria of meaning, wholeness and receptivity play out in her world. Hi, Madeline. Uh, I'm really excited to have you with me today. We had such a nice short conversation at SOCAP and you were absolutely fascinating. So I would like other people to know about you. Give us a little bit of your background, <clears throat> you know, how you got into doing what you're doing, what led you that way, and then a bit about the companies you founded sold and how you're approaching what you're doing now. Yeah, sure. Hi, I'm Madeline Martinere. Um, I recently uh, had a bit of a transition. I ran a company called Sparkplug Labs. Um, basically what we do is we are community engineers um, for very hardware specific companies, uh, working a lot in the startup world and some in the big brands. Um, as of now, um, I've transitioned. I'm now a director of strategic communications at FTI Consulting and working on the exact same thing 
with a lot more horsepower. Um, I got into this, I originally went to college to be a science fiction writer. And I realized that uh, very quickly into it that everything that I was writing about was already happening. And um, I had a quick choice. I could very quickly change my degree and become a uh, mechanical engineer, which I liked, or I could continue doing communications and work with the companies that I love. Um, so I started out working with hackerspaces when they came to the U.S. And hackerspaces are these phenomenal places where creativity and innovation and technology mesh for free. Uh, and it's a great place to learn. And since then, for the last four years now, I've been working in with startups. And tell us what you do more specifically. How do you how do you name what you're working on and how do you do that a bit? Yeah, so I call it community engineering because I don't like community management and I don't like marketing. Um, but in essence, it's a little bit of everything. Um, a couple of community engineers are about creating and maintaining authentic communities, particularly when you're dealing with technology. Um, you know, you see a lot of people giving information on how, how to build communities and how to manage communities. And ultimately, a lot of the, the rhetoric around that is, is not particularly authentic. And I think companies are scared of building authentic communities because the more authentic community you have, the more volatile they are, the more invested in your product they are, and the more likely they are to, for that to backfire. So um, we're all about building authentic communities around a company or around a product around a Kickstarter campaign, um, around a product launch for a big company. And, and those communities, when done right, can really, really drive your company forward and scale it quickly. So give me an example of what it would look like if you had an inauthentic community and the implications of that, and then more what it looks like when it's an authentic one, and maybe give us a real example. Yeah, so I think um, for those that maybe don't do as well with authentic communities, um, there are a lot of big businesses and big brands to point to, particularly when it comes to open source hardware. Um, so a brand that does quite, I'll say the brand that does really well when it comes to building open source hardware. And open source hardware is providing the hardware platform itself um, and letting people develop on it. So using a board to build a automated coffee maker, or building a bike that makes music, whatever it might be, um, but you're giving them the actual nitty gritty components and having them build something. Arduino is a fantastic example of this. Arduino is an Italian company and they've done two models. One is they do actually sell the board and it's very inexpensive and you can, I used to have one, I could show you one. Um, and uh, the other is that they release their schematics of how to actually build the piece of hardware itself to the greater community. And so what's happened is you have all the all these little fragments and little segments that have come up where people have built Arduino boards on paper. They have printed them out. They've built them out of made them smaller. They've made them bigger. They've made them more powerful. Depending on what the needs are, people are making their own. And the only way that that works is by having that authentic community and saying, yeah, OK, you can buy it. We are a company. We are a for profit company. We make money. But this may not be your needs. We want to build things that are your needs. So here's option B. Um, you see a lot of big brands try to replicate that. Uh, Intel has had their Galileo board for the last, uh, last couple of years, and they just released the Edison model. And 
their principle is very much the same. They don't open it up. Um, you have no idea how it works. And they're trying to sell it to the exact same community. And surprise, surprise, it hasn't gone over well. Um, Texas Instruments has a different model where they build their own boards. Same thing, they don't tell anyone about how they're built. And they hand them out like candy to everyone that develops on hardware. And then they wait for someone to build something great. And nobody shares. <laughs> so they do build great things, but they're not going to come back to TI and say, look at this thing that I built with your chip. Uh, and so there's a lost opportunity in that. Um, that I think Arduino and some of its competitors, Raspberry Pi, has done some very similar things. Um, crowdfunding is all about authentic communities as well. Um, whether you're doing hardware or a film, um, the reason that crowdfunding works the way it does is because you are building an authentic community that's invested monetarily, but also emotionally in what you're building. And for your product to succeed, they have to be invested and share the project with their networks and get other people invested so that you raise the correct amount of money. Um, so I think they're a fantastic example of how to engineer authentic communities. So if uh, someone was saying, wow, I want to do that, I want to build an authentic community, give us two or three guidelines that you would suggest that you think are really important. They start with in mind um, and they get some idea of, okay, I, I see how I may or may not be thinking about that. That's helpful. Yeah. Um, the first one, and this is, uh, you see this in a lot of hacker spaces, is don't be an asshole. Right. <laughs> um, and, and I mean that, I mean that in, in the greatest respect, but um, people sometimes when they're building communities, because they're so invested in their product or their company themselves, can come off as entitled. And you see that a lot in big brands where because I'm a company that makes billions of dollars of revenue every year. Of course I'm entitled to this community and you're not. Um, and so being, being nice to them goes a long way. Um, transparency is the second piece I would say. Um, people, when they, we want to build an authentic community, you're trying to get people invested. Um, they need as much information as possible to make that call. Um, this is another one that startups do struggle with. Um, and big brands definitely struggle with because that's not how they were built to be transparent. So in the case of Intel, um, another one that's actually really good is Microsoft. Microsoft just bought Minecraft, uh, the company that built Minecraft for $2.5 billion. And the community that comes with Minecraft is really kind of up in arms because they don't understand why. And in actuality, what Microsoft will likely do with it is, is probably something good. Uh, and they very well, they may do what SoftBank did with uh, Supercell and just leave it alone and let it build. But because they're not being honest about it mm -hmm. and they're not being transparent about it, the community is confused and they're angry. And there's a huge opportunity they may or may not lose in that. Um, so being transparent, saying we made this call, these are why we make these calls in this business. And being transparent that you're a for-profit company is okay. You can be philanthropic and you can build authentic communities and you can still make money. Um, so those, the third piece is be strategic. Um, is be very, when people go for communities, um, when we think about demographics for building communities, you tend to say, you know, I'm look, my community that buys my product is female between 25 and 45 and has X amount of disposable income. And when you do that, you're viewing people as a demographic or a unit and not a person. And mm -hmm. so think a lot deeper about 
what your community really is. Who are these people? Okay, Lisa is 25 and she graduated with a degree in psychology and she likes this kind of music and this kind of thing. And you view these people as people and you're able to hone your message a lot better and brand your product and still tell your story to them in a way that they resonate with because you're talking to another person. Um, so those are the three big things I would say. Those are great. Uh, and I think those are part of what uh, I was really enjoying talking with you about because when I work with businesses, I tell them that demographics is the very worst way you can do marketing because it actually kills life. Uh, but if you can think about how their life is, what they're trying to create, now you have what I call responsibility because you can do something that cares for them. The other thing that I, I know is you're very young, right? You're new into this. Yeah. And I mean, you've got a few years experience, but there is a transition going on that is from the kind of old world, uh, often just older leaders, but way of viewing the world that creates confusion when you talk the way you do. Yeah. Uh, and I'm wondering, and to me, it's like a breath of fresh air and it's like, okay, this is where we're going. How would you describe what the nature of that transition is? And if, and because you have founded a company, you've sold a company, you've become a part of that and been working uh, in it for a while. Uh, the question is really about the transitioning culture. And what do you think the new culture, the new business culture, the new way of working is going to look like? And I'm sure it'll build off of the three things you just said, but maybe you could add a little bit to that. Yeah, I think, I think the future is open um, and it scares people. Um, because it does require a level of honesty and transparency that I think big brands are not used to. And I think a lot of human beings aren't used to, um, particularly in business. We're taught to be, we're taught to see people as units and demographics. We're taught to think profit first and community second. And what's happening is particularly in a boom, and I'm, I'm here in Silicon Valley, that there are 20 other competitors doing exactly what you're doing. Um, and if you are a company like GE, you're going to be scared because uh, there's 20 other competitors doing what you're doing. And they may not be making as much revenue as you, but they may be having a much stronger community. And that community is what's going to scale them infinitely faster. Mm -hmm. It's more than just customers. And so they're having to adapt. Um, and what you're seeing here a lot is that these big businesses are acquiring startups with strong communities left and right. And that's been their in and saying, well, we maybe we don't know how to do this, but they do. So let's bring them on. Um, and that transition has been very rocky. And what I'm trying to encourage is on the big business side is saying, hey, that's great. You're supporting these, these businesses, but think internally about what you can do. Um, GE, I, I use GE as a great example of actually someone who recently announced something fantastic and they built a chip. Um, that you can basically stick in the back of any of a GE device and it uh, turns it into it's a little open source thing. So suddenly you can turn your washer and dryer into a smart washer and dryer. Mm. That's huge because they're opening up. They make a lot of their money on appliances. They're saying, but why don't you do something better with it? And they partnered with some great smaller companies that have been doing this and that they have been community leaders in this and saying, we want to do this. Is it necessarily going to make them a tremendous amount of revenue by building this chip that they're basically handing out for nothing? No. But is it going to make more people loyal to GE as a brand and a demographic of people that 
may not even think about what they what kind of washer or dryer they buy as long as it's not the you know it's the cheapest one on Amazon. Yes, they're going to really start thinking about that, and so that's that's huge from a brand perspective. Um, and on the startup side, you need to be competing with those guys. Um, you know, you need to be competing with uh, you know if you're doing a smart thermostat, you need to be competing with Nest. And Nest makes a tremendous amount of money, and they have a strong brand. But there are guys out there that are doing tremendously well competing with Nest because they have those communities. That's great. Well, talk a little bit about what you're thinking about doing. Well, what you're doing now, and what you're thinking about doing next, because you're you can tell even in just listening to you, the number uh, you, you kind of follow a path you set, but on the other hand, you wait to see what shows up. Share with us what you're doing now, how you're playing that out, and where you're thinking about going. Right now, um, I've been asked to come on board with FCI Consulting um, on their technology team and work on communications. And what that allows me to do is exactly what I'm doing now with a tremendous amount of horsepower. Um, FCI is a massive consulting company. They're in um, all over the world, and they've got thousands of employees that are very, very smart. And so suddenly when I build these teams now, I'm not only building it with PR, marketing, community specialists, I can bring in legislative specialists, I can bring legal specialists, financial specialists. And so we start doing stuff like IPOs and MAs and, and really a lot bigger projects. And that's exciting to me right now to see with a little bit more horsepower how much change we can make. Um, in the future, uh, I, I'm really, really drawn to open source hardware and I will always be drawn to open source hardware. Um, and I'm very much fascinated and, and concerned that we are in 2014 and there is a tremendous amount of population that does not have food, it does not have clean water, it does not have education. And, and some of these fundamental things that I, I would assume would have been figured out by now. Uh, and meanwhile, in, we're in the Valley, we have all of these people building apps that may be very great, but their first world problems are things that if I didn't have Uber tomorrow, I would be fine. <laughs> be a little sad, but I'd be fine. I'd get back on the bus. There's these huge demographics of people that uh, need this kind of technology innovation and this thought process. And uh, I'm really interested in bringing some of this methodology and some of these technological innovations to people in developing countries um, in a different way than it's been done before. I'm not interested in building a product here and sending it over and seeing if it sticks. I'm just bringing the community aspect and the education aspect um, and the resources. There are a lot of great companies doing tremendous work around hardware and manufacturing and prototyping um, in South Africa, in West Africa, in the Middle East. Um, and, and the fact of the matter is the talent is there and, and they know better than us what it is that would work. They just need the resources to make it happen. So I foresee that that will be the next thing. I, uh, I call this podcast The Responsible Entrepreneur. And it is not the same thing as social entrepreneur, because social entrepreneurs, I think we talked about this a little bit, social entrepreneurs do work on it as an issue and they try and ameliorate at the level of a cause or a problem. 
When I listened to you talk, one of the things that interested me was your sense of responsibility is more about how do you make a system work? Like you said, why haven't we resolved this before now? You know, why am I being born in this era where this has gone on for not just decades, but centuries, and I am here having to work on it again? When you think about taking on any of those things, where do you start in asking what's the system challenge that needs to be changed so that those various kind of basic things could be just, I don't know, they just go away because there's a system that makes it uh, work much better. Do you have a reflection on that way of thinking about it? Yeah, I think I think you hit the nail on the head that it is really about reinventing systems to make this work. Um, and what I find is that I think 90% of my job, particularly because I work with hardware companies predominantly, is as a translator. Um, very creative highly technical people are not necessarily your best salespeople or spokespeople. And that's okay because they're building something great. But in the Valley here, you kind of see those lines blur and the people that are building this have to be the spokespeople and you see great spokespeople with not great products. And it's a confusing ecosystem to be in. Um, and particularly in the startup world too, there's this kind of abrasiveness towards uh, big business and government and legislator because they say, well, I can do it better. Well, that, that system doesn't work. So we're going to do it better. It may be true, but it's still there. You still have to work with it. Um, and on the flip side, I've been constantly surprised about big businesses and, and legislators that want to see this happen, but they are so used to the way that they were taught how to do it. And this is the way the system works. They don't know how to change it. And so if you bring those two together and you say, hey, okay, you as a legislator, you want more job creation. As a big business, you want more, you want more, uh, you want more consumers. And as a startup, you say you want a really big community. So how do you, how do you make that all work together? Um, and if you just get them in a room together to talk and to talk about actionable steps, they actually come up with some really good things. Um, and so, but a lot of times that's all it takes is, is having that person in the middle and saying, Hey, okay, I'm going to be the mediator. We all want the same things. Let's do it together. Um, or a startup that builds a fantastic product to bring energy in West Africa and they need specific, they need specific plastics or they need funding. And there's a dozen big companies with fantastic funds for this kind of stuff that are always looking for these companies, but it's noisy. And so, I think it really is an issue of, of not only building new ways and new systems of doing things, but kind of hacking on the old. I'm a hacker. I mean, you need to hack on the old ones. Yeah. There, you can't just make them go away, but you can, you can hack the system a little bit and make everyone play nice together. So the last question I have for you is you work in arenas where it's, you might say, difficult to know what difference you're always making. Yes. Most of us have to have some way we assess whether it's making a difference. And as a consultant right now, particularly, you're not doing the hands-on directly with the community, but as a consultant, you're kind of one step removed. How do you, in any condition, assess, measure, uh, metric? I'm not even sure metrics work under all these conditions, but how do you assess whether or not you are making a difference with the work you're doing and with your life? Yeah, so you kind of, there's the set metrics that you have in consulting and particularly communications consulting, which is about um, you know, engagement and talking about how many, how many people are writing articles and whether are they positive or are they negative. 
and you know what how are people how are people viewing the company as a whole and the project as a whole um crowdfunding is an easy metric because you're trying to raise x amount of money and you know you succeeded if they raise x amount of money um but i think there's more than that and just seeing um keep close to your communities um i you know i i'm it's good and bad but i get a little too invested in my companies i think um, because I really want to know on the ground what's happening. Mm. So always listening, always listening. And so you start seeing what the general response is. Um, and you will notice, I mean, regardless of, okay, my KPI is 60% or whatever, whatever that is, is that you know that you start seeing these companies grow in media and social media and engagement online, engagement offline. You start seeing people write, you see emails that they write. It's amazing emails that people write to these companies and say, hey, I love your product. I love your project. I love your company. How can I help? I think when you hit that point where you have your community asking you, I am invested. How can I help? One, you still have to work at it, but that you want, you win the game. <laughs> and so that's really what I look for is when I feel like I've succeeded is when I start seeing those emails and I start seeing those comments online and offline saying, I, I'm in, I've bought in completely. How do I help? And you see that ties into all of the standard metrics and you start seeing that the revenue goes up and that there's more customers and more customer satisfaction um, and more traction. So people are going to have questions. They're going to want to talk to you. They're going to know, want to know more about what you've done. What would you suggest about the best way to follow up on the, the way you work, the kind of open source of the hardware world, <clears throat> and potentially to reach out to you directly if uh, they'd like to hire you or engage with you or write an article about you. What would you suggest about how people know more and get connected? Yeah, so um, I my email is madeline at sparkpluglabs.io. Anyone is free to email me. Um, I am Creative Taboo on Twitter. Um, I'm very active on Twitter, so any questions there? Um, I'm happy. Say that again. Freedom Taboo. <laughs> creative Taboo. Creative Taboo. Okay, I didn't think I heard that. Writer right. days. Uh, yeah. So that was, um, and I'll I'll share this with you in an email, so you can have the actual spellings of all of that. Um, and so anyone is free to email me or tweet at me if they have any questions. Um, other than that, I would look, if you, if you want to look at uh, open source hardware, um, there is a website for that, and I can actually pull it up. Um, the open source movement as in general has its own website. Um, there's a lot of really good thought leaders on that. Um, the Open Source Hardware Association is a great place to look at. Um, they are www.oshwa.org. Um, and then you can go to uh, my about me and go to my website. I I answer any questions. So well, I think it would be helpful if you spell your entire name because uh, many people will just hear this on a podcast and they may not have a way to go look it all up. So let's just spell your whole name. Oh goodness. Okay, my first name is M A D E L Y N N. Two uh, ends. My last name is M A R. T-I-N-I-E-R-E. -E. Great. Well, I, uh, I've enjoyed meeting you when I did. I've enjoyed talking with you again. And thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. 
Well, thank you so much, Madeline. I think all of our listeners can also see why I wanted them to hear what you're doing and what you're up to. And of course, we'll leave you more information on the podcast about how you can connect with Madeline and how you can connect with us. You can come to the responsibleentrepreneurinstitute.com and you can find out more. This particular podcast will be posted at carolsanford.com where there are many other podcasts, not only for the responsible entrepreneur, but the responsible capitalist. So I really hope you'll continue to join us again. And by the way, sign up for the RSS feed so we'll let you know when the next podcast is available. 